Put your hands together. Amen. So very excited about what the Lord is doing in several of our ministries here at Victory. Pastor Jeremy and his lovely wife, Heather, uh, do a great job with our youth. I've uh, been having a, quite a bit of growth, 50 kids or more on Wednesday nights and packing them in here. You saw one example of that crowd. These kids are learning the precepts of the kingdom of God and learning how to walk in love and getting their hearts transformed for Jesus. Let's give Pastor Jeremy and his wife, Heather, a hand. Amen. Now, that was not Heather up here. That was Haley. Haley on the platform with Jeremy is our children's pastor, Pastor Haley Vest. Great, awesome job is going on with our children's ministry as well. And we're doing a build-out right now, as she talked to you about. You smell the sawdust and see the caution tape. Special facility now for our fifth and sixth graders because they've been packing 60 kids in that one room right there in Victory Kids. And so we're going to separate our fifth and sixth graders so that we can really kind of begin to specialize and talk to them a little bit more on a little mature, more mature level. And we, we, they, they meet collectively right now in that room all as a whole group. And then they're going to be dividing first and second graders together, third and fourth graders together, fifth and sixth graders. Then we'll be in a class uh, as we'll be starting, I think, in the summer sometime. So we're really excited about that. God's provided the finances to build that room. He's given us the teachers to be able to lead those small groups, and so we're excited about it. Going to be asking you, if you would, to ask the Lord at the end of the service in a way that you might be able to participate, either to help us with some teaching or a teacher's aid in a room, or maybe possibly giving something toward the completion of that room, outfitting it with some furniture or something. How many of you are thankful for, for today and for your great moms? Can somebody say amen? I'm just, uh, I, I'm thrilled today to, to be able to have my mother-in-law here. Uh, Dawn's mom is sitting there on the second row, pretty lady there in the white, and uh, her, her very dear friend from, oh, a couple of years ago, probably 40 plus years ago, is Carolyn from Cape Girardeau, Missouri, down here as our guest today. And I just wanted to let everybody know right now that I have the best mother-in-law in the whole world. I want everybody to know that, not that I'm trying to score points, but I really do love this lady as my own mom. She's a great woman who's just been an amazing influence in my life. And not only in, in bringing into the world my lovely wife, Dawn, but blessing my children, Drew and Abby. And so I honor her this morning as she's with us. Uh, today, we're in number five of our new series uh, that is called Seven Guiding Lights. And we have been about the process of trying to help everyone clearly be able to see from Scripture seven tools or seven pieces of equipment that God gives to us to help us discern the will of the Lord and to make good decisions. I'm going to ask you if you would stand with me, please. We have two passages of Scripture found in three verses total that we're going to read. Those of you that have been with me from the beginning, you probably are already getting Romans 12, 2 memorized. And if you just want to find one of the screens where it's convenient for you to read along, I want us all to read out loud together. Here we go. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Very quickly this morning, moving on to Isaiah chapter 9, two verses of scripture, and then I'll let you sit down. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. You usually see this, or rather you hear it read at Christmas time, but this is about the ministry of Jesus. So it's good for all time. Okay, let's read together. Here we go. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Stop right there. Everybody say, Wonderful Counselor. What kind of counselor? 
wonderful counselor. Here we go. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Bow your hearts with me for a word of prayer. Gracious God, we are so thankful this morning for this time together to be able to celebrate our moms. We, we know that you reveal yourself to us in your word as father, but we also know that, that you're neither male nor female. And so you gave yourself to us in parents, in a, a, a woman, in a mother, in a female, and in a father, in a male. And you, you showed us that to really grasp the image of God, we see those two together. We see the mercy and the compassion of mom. We see the discipline and the standard that father sets. We thank you, Lord, that you're all of that to us, that you are El Shaddai, the many-breasted one, the one who draws us even to your breast. Lord, to give us compassion and mercy and long-suffering. Lord, you also are Father in that you raise us up and you discipline your children so that we can be everything that you've called us to be. Thank you for your amazing love that is unconditional. I just acknowledge before you and everyone standing today that I can't do any of this apart from you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, you're the only teacher. Open eyes to see and ears to hear and understand. Jesus, I'll be careful to give you all the glory. You're the only wonderful counselor there is. Holy Spirit, you're the teacher. Do what no man can do. I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. <coughs> the title of this message today is called Hearing Godly Counsel. Hearing Godly Counsel. We've been in this series and we're up to number five today uh, regarding seven guiding lights. There are at least this many very substantial means in the word by which God gives us the ability to make decisions that will, from the beginning, from the outset, have his blessing. In our very me-centered society, a lot of times we make our own plans without thinking about consulting the word or any of these other guiding lights that we're teaching in this series. And we make the plans and we just instigate them and get on our way. And then when things don't work out the way we had hoped, we spend a lot of time on our face uh, as Christians begging God to bless what we've already started. And I think that we could avoid a lot of conflict if we would begin from ground zero and not do what many times churchianity in our culture has taught us to do. And that is you hear people say, well, I've tried everything else. I guess I'll pray. Or I've tried everything else, I guess I'll go to the Word. You know, the Word ought to be the first place we go and it ought to be the final authority. It ought to have the very, the, the first question should be out of our mouths when we're making a critical decision should be, what does the Word say? Okay, does the Word specifically speak to this? Now, we've moved from scriptural confirmation in number one, Psalm 119, 105 says, your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. All of these messages now up to number five today will be on this afternoon. Number five will be included probably by tomorrow at www.victorywired.com, and they're all free. We give all of this away. So if you want to just, I want to say tune in, and you can see I, my generation is that of the radio dial, but if you want to 
point your browser, your URL to www.victorywired.com, you'll find our church website there and look under media and under media, click messages and you can either choose a podcast that it will automatically update your iPod or your MP3 device, or you can actually play it through your computer right there on your uh, media player device. You can burn a CD if you want to and give it away. We invite you to do that. We're not about copywriting this and trying to make money off of any of this because it's the word of God. It's priceless. It it is above any kind of human value. So we offer this to you free. So if you're behind, I encourage you to just go ahead and just tune in. (laughs) There, I said it again. Find your place there and see what was said regarding number one, scriptural confirmation. I can't go back and even review. don't have time. Number two, inner conviction, that intuition that ladies talk about, the gut feeling that guys talk about, where the spirit of God bears witness. Last week, we talked about prophetic confirmation. It was a lengthy one because there's a lot of confusion about that. And some folks really don't have a lot of understanding. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Brothers, now, brethren, I would not have you be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. Very same phrase that he used about the coming of the Lord. He said, Brothers, I would not have you be ignorant concerning his coming. How many of you know anytime Paul says, I wouldn't have you be ignorant, it's probably a pretty good indication that we're what? Ignorant. Greek word agnoeo, we, we get our English word agnostic from it. It means you just don't know. Now, you know what? You don't want to stay in that place for a long time. It's, it's not a bad thing to be agnostic. And if you're, a, if you're a questioner, if you're a seeker, if you're here this morning and you just really don't know, I just want to tell you, Jesus died for people who just don't know. He hung on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they what? They know not. Okay. So the whole point is Jesus loves people who don't know. But when you meet him, you can know. You can know with a certainty. You can know with confidence. And so this morning, uh, we, we don't want you to stay in that place of, of not knowing. The, the, the Latin word for, agno, for, for ignorant is ignoramus. I don't want to stay in ignoramus. <laughs> that carries a little bit more of a negative idea than agnoeo, agnostic. Okay? So this morning, we, we, we've jumped from scriptural confirmation, inner conviction, Prophetic confirmation. Today, we're going to be talking about hearing godly counsel. How how can I decide who or whom I should listen to? A lot of voices in the world. A lot of folks offer their advice even when I haven't asked for it. A lot of folks are more than willing to alert me to their opinion. Are their opinions valid? Should I pay attention to what he says? Though her life doesn't match her lips, should I listen to what she says? So we're going to ask those questions this morning. And especially for a moment, we're going to talk about the amazing gift that God has given to us in the godly counsel of mothers. I'm thankful for my mother this morning. Um, I'm I'm, I'm thrilled that even though she's not with us on this side any longer, she's a part of the, the church triumphant. She's overlooking. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, wherefore we are encompassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every sin, every weight and every sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. My mom is a part of that triumphant church. We here on the earth are the church militant. We're still involved in the war, still dealing with the conflict. And mom's part of the triumphant church. She's praying. She's interceding. She's cheering us on. She's looking down this morning and still praying for God to send revival to the Delta praying for my life, praying for your life. Don't think that because your mom has gone to glory that you no longer have her prayers. She's still praying for you this morning. How many of you are thankful to hear that? Some of you didn't even realize that. 
Come on, put your hands together and give him praise. That's good. So today we want to hear some godly counsel. And the definition of counsel from the dictionary tells us that it literally is to, to give advice. It is to bring guidance. It is to give direction. It is like a steering committee. A board of directors will sit as an advisory group to a, a, a uh, corporation. A board of elders will sit and do that in a local congregation. The church has given us uh, men of God that have been uh, proven. Uh, I'm thankful for brothers who've been here with me just about from the beginning. Jack Murphy being one of those. He's an elder. We, we call them shepherds here at Victory. Uh, Alex Blankenship sitting right here on the front row is one of our elders, one of our shepherds here at Victory. Scott Grafton this morning, I'm not sure. I think he maybe went to Cherry Valley to, to, to celebrate Mother's Day with his mom today. And so I'm thankful for these three men as well as some emerging leaders that God is raising up in the house that I talk to and I say, hey, what do you perceive on this? What are, what are, you, what are your feelings? And, and we listen to the voice of the ladies as well, knowing that the voice of Christ is on the inside of each of you, especially when your head's covered by submission to your husband and submission to the authority of the house of the Lord here. And so we're thankful for advice, for, for direction, for guidance, for steering, now, the question then becomes, as, as we open up this morning regarding the ministry of the counselor, we're going to ask some questions in just a moment, but I want to just remind you very briefly about our wonderful counselor, Jesus Christ. Hebrew, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 11, and this one's not on the board, so just listen. The Bible says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now, in the book of Revelation, it refers to this passage and it calls it the seven spirits of God. Now, this is just kind of an old English way of referring to seven characteristics of God's one spirit. There, God doesn't have seven spirits, but these are seven manifestations or seven characteristics of all that it takes to describe the amazing counselor called the Holy Spirit. Spirit of the Lord is one. Spirit of wisdom is two. Understanding is three. Spirit of counsel and might is four and five. Spirit of knowledge is six. And the fear of the Lord, the spirit of the fear of the Lord is seven. So you have seven manifestations of the Spirit of God that are evident in Jesus who is the wonderful counselor. Say amen. All right, then we move to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And we've got three passages that I want you to just listen to. John 14, 26, 15, 26, and 16, 13. These are three key passages. There are others, but these are the three main ones. If you want to know what the work of the Holy Spirit is, find the Gospel of John and read these three chapters, 14, 15, and 16. This actually was the night before Jesus was betrayed by Judas and was stood up for trial and then crucified. Uh, actually, most of the Gospel of John takes place in the last week of Jesus' life. Literally from 12 on through the end of the chapter takes place in a matter of few days. The first 11 chapters are over the three and a half years. But 12 through 21 is just a big, quick, huge, detailed flyover of the last week of Jesus' life. And so he's got the disciples in the upper room. He's teaching them about the work of the Holy Spirit, the counselor. Everybody say the counselor. All right, some translations say the helper. Other ones call him the guide. Others say teacher. Greek word is parakletos, which means called alongside to help. 
Other translations say helper. Listen, but the helper of the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. So that verse tells you two things that the Spirit of God does. Everybody say, teach me and remind me. One more time, say, teach me and remind me. Remind me everything Jesus has said, okay? Next verse, John 15, 26. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. That's the third thing. So he's going to point back to who Jesus is. Jesus says in these three great chapters, I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will send you another comforter. And if Jesus is going to send another comforter, by implication, he's letting them know his life and ministry has been a comforting ministry to them. Okay? So the comforter has come, and he says, I'm going away, and it's, it's expedient. It's good for you that I go away because until I go away, the comforter that I'm going to send can't come to you, and he's the one that we're going to call the guide, the helper, the teacher, the reminder, the one who bears witness of all things concerning me. Now, last verse in 1613, we'll get the last four things he does. A total of seven right here. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. Everybody say guide. Guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. In other words, he's speaking with the authority of the Father and of the Son. Okay? But whatever he hears, he will speak. So he's waiting to hear from the Father, from the Son, and he speaks the words that he's hearing them say. That's five and six. And then the last one is he will declare to you the things that are to come. So the Holy Spirit is going to give you a glimpse of the future. He's going to to declare to you things that are out in front of you, things that are to come. So seven things right there in those three verses are actions of the Holy Spirit. One more time, real quick. Everybody say, teach me, remind me, bear witness about Jesus, guide me, speaks on God's authority, what he hears he speaks, and he talks about the future. Those are seven things right there that you've just gotten from those verses. Now... We need godly counsel. I need help. I can't do this by myself. Okay? So here are these verses. Let's look up and put them up on the screen this morning. And you might fill in your notes as you have them there in your lap. We need, our need for godly counsel is found in Proverbs chapter 11. Hear this. Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is what? Safety. So it's a good thing when I can connect to trusted counselors and I can get from an advisory board. I can have some friends that will tell me the truth, that love me enough to sometimes tell me maybe what I don't want to hear. But maybe they've had some experience in some places that I have not. And if I listen, I can actually learn from them. So where there is no guidance, and we're talking about a guidance system here, a GPS system in the spirit, We're lining up these lights. Remember what our analogy is? A pilot lands a plane by lining up two rows of lights in a runway, pointing the nose of that plane right down in between those runway lights, knowing that if he touches those wheels on the ground, he can land that plane safely. We can make godly decisions that automatically have his blessing on them when we land the plane according to the will of God. I decide, I make decisions, decisions have consequences. When I do something according to the will of God, his blessing will automatically be there, and I don't have to waste time begging, okay? Are you with me? All right, next verse, Proverbs chapter 24, verse 6, for by wise guidance, there it is again, everybody say guidance, 
For by wise guidance, you can wage your war, and in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Now, these sound very similar. Where there's no guidance, the people falls. In an abundance of counselors, there's safety. You can wage your war if you have guidance. In an abundance of counselors, there's victory. So I need some folks to speak into my life. I need to be willing to hear them when they do speak into my life. So the question then becomes, to whom do I listen? Because there are a lot of voices around me. And, and this verse I didn't put in your notes because I just was reminded as I got up early this morning to pray and get ready for the message, it just popped into my spirit as I was praying. And the Lord reminded me of Proverbs eighteen twenty four, and it says this, a man of many companions may come to ruin. Did you know that you can actually be in a situation where you have so many friends that you have too many friends that are influencing you and pulling you in different directions. If, if friends really do have the desire to see the best that God has for you, they will be concerned about understanding the will of the Lord for your life and not trying to pull you in directions that oppose the will of God. People, you cannot stay in a relationship where one person is walking with God and loving the Lord and somebody else has one foot in the world because there's going to be a tension there and something's going to change. It, it will not remain static. Either the person who's walking with God will be able to influence the one who's not to come over to begin to walk with the Lord. More times than not, that's not the case. The one who's not walking with God ends up dragging down the person who is. Don't shout me down now. There's no opportunity to stay in that place of tension and somebody not move. Either the one walking with God pulls back or the one who's not begins to pull into and get in line with what the word of the Lord says. Think about that when you choose your companions. So as we look at that today, I want to ask the question, how do I find godly counsel? How do I find godly counsel? There's a story found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and it's an extensive pas uh, passage, and I'm not going to take time to read it to you because we don't have time this morning. And I know all of you want to get to lunch and you want to give mom something special and spend some time with her. So I know that I, I, I want, to, want to be as brief as I possibly can. So I'm going to tell you this story. Great story in 2 Corinthians 10. Solomon, son of David, has had an amazing reign. His, the history of his kingdom literally is pointed to as one of the greatest kingdoms in all of human history. Uh, the favor of God was on them. They've gathered in money into the treasury. The budget is balanced. There's gold in the bank. They've built a phenomenal demonstration of the temple of God. The presence of God showed up. They didn't just have a great building, but God himself showed up and fire fell from heaven and consumed the sacrifice and the spirit of God that led the children of Israel across the desert through the tabernacle of Moses and the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day is now actually abiding. His presence is in the temple in Jerusalem. And you can go there and experience the tangible presence of God. Solomon is a blessed man. Solomon gets a little bored and he marries a lot of wives and he takes a lot of his one little first grade boy said he had a thousand porcupines and he meant concubines. And actually, I think it's 700 wives and 1,100 concubines, 1,800. I mean, that's like three a day for 300 days a year. I can't imagine. It's all I can do just to keep the amazing woman that I do have one in my life happy, much less thinking about 1,800 of them. <laughs> Solomon, I guess, got off somewhere, okay? Uh, missed it. And um, 
Scripture says that the law of the Lord had commanded that we don't marry women who worship false gods, and he did. And the nation began to take a turn. The nation that was plagued over and over by the same three things that the devil doesn't have any new tricks and he, he's been using since Eden. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. I preached this a couple messages ago. And the three false gods that Israel fought over and over were Ashtoreth, a sex god, Baal, god of, of finance and provision, and you had to be a part of Baal if you're going to be a, a part of the wealthy or the elite of Israel, and Molech, which is basically a god of convenience. They threw their newborn babies into the belly that was a fire pit, literally a kind of an infanticide. It was an afterbirth abortion, so to speak. We talked about how America today is still wrestling those same three things. A, a sex god, passion, I want to feel something. A position or a possession god of Baal, I want to have something, I want to own something. And then finally the last one was, was the god of Molech. And that was, I, I want to be somebody. And too many times young women, because it's not convenient to be able to carry a pregnancy to full term and raise a baby, just, you know, just go make the fateful decision of ending a life and sacrifice it in the fires of Molech. And that's our, our nation is still fighting those same three, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Look at your neighbor and say, the devil has no new tricks. And so this morning, as we, we look at this, Solomon um, has passed. He's died. He's, he's gone to the great cloud of witnesses. Okay? Solomon has a son, Rehoboam who has just been made king. And the elders of the city and the nation, not just the city, but the nation, have come before the young king Rehoboam, who's not had a whole lot of how to be a king experience. And the elders come and they said, Rehoboam, your father experienced some great success and we built the temple. And every time the armies of Israel went out, God was with us and we've defeated the enemy and we've got gold more than we can count. We're blessed, but we've worked hard and the generation before us ha ha have worked severely to build this temple and build Solomon the palace and all of these things that we've built. And they basically said, will you lighten the load? The elders cried out to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, said, will you lighten the load for us? Solomon said, I'll get back to you on that. Solomon goes to the elders, the old men who've actually been a part of the advising committee to Solomon. And they sat down with Rehoboam and they said, Rehoboam, there are great opportunities before you. If you will just lighten the load of this people and love them, they will revere you and they will serve you all the days of their lives. And, and your kingdom can be as great as your father Solomon's. Thank you very much, he says. He calls for a group of young men that are sort of the young bucks that are figuring they're the ones who are going to be put into the presidential cabinet, so to speak. They're going to be the secretary of defense and the secretary of commerce and they're going to become all of these close advisors. They're expecting Rehoboam, who's a young 20-something who, when he takes the throne, and they basically counsel him the, the total opposite. They, they said, look, don't listen to what the old elders counseled you. You go back and tell them, your little finger is thicker than your father's waist. One translation says, thicker than Solomon's thigh. And you go back and tell them that Solomon scourged you with whips, but I will scourge you with scorpions. And Rehoboam thinks about it. The elders of the land appear before him the next day in the great court that Solomon had built. Rehoboam had slept on it the night before and he considered the council. Two different opposing ideas, one coming from the elders, one coming 
from a bunch of unproven young new guys who wanted to prove their place of authority that many times comes in a place of arrogant, prideful, I gotta show these people who I am. Because after all, they said, you know what? You're the king. Your word carries the authority. Be who you are. Stand up and put these snithering, whining people down. Solomon failed to listen to the good counsel of the older generation. And he took the counsel of the young men and he basically said the exactly word for word what they said. Boys, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. And my dad, King Solomon, scourged you with whips, but I will scourge you with scorpions. And without even thinking, all of the elders threw their hands up and says, we have no place or no lot in David. And immediately Rehoboam lost 10 tribes to the north and the kingdom split. Two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, are the only two that remained faithful. The northern kingdom went off, and it's referred to as Israel. The southern kingdom was referred to as Judah. Israel never had a righteous king from that moment on. They never had a revival, the presence of God. Judah had, it was back and forth. It was up and down. It would be an evil king. It would be a couple of good kings. It would be a couple of evil kings and a good king that would clean out the temple and Josiah and Hezekiah and these great kings that we see God using them to bring reform to the people and, 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 and leading in repentance for the land and God would pour out his spirit and revival would come. But it all happened because one young man wouldn't listen to godly counsel and he listened to the wrong voices. Every one of you in this room has many companions. You have to decide who, better said grammatically, to whom will I listen to whom will I pay attention? And so I have some questions for you this morning so that we don't do what Rehoboam, son of Solomon, did. And I want to ask you some questions to ask for those that want to give you their advice. Do they love God? Number two, do they know the word? And, and not just the word, though I believe the word is critical, but do they have a knowledge of the area that you're asking them to advise yourself in? In other words, you're a business person, you're a young businessman, and you, you're investing some capital, and you've got some money on the line, and you're looking to make a big business. It's a, it's a hard economy right now, and we're all praying, hoping things turn, and, and yet you, you have an opportunity to expand the business. Is this a good thing to do right now? And you don't want to talk to somebody who's never run a lemonade stand before, do you? You want to talk to another business person. And it, not just that, you want to talk to somebody who loves God the way you do. Somebody who's in it for the same reasons that you are, to advance the kingdom of God. And I'd ask you the question, do they walk with God? Does their life depict a, 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 a kind of demeanor or a behavior that you could actually say, I want what that person, now I'm not talking about coveting, but I want the kind of marriage he has with his wife. Now, you shouldn't be getting marriage counseling from the guy at work who is regularly stepping out on his wife. Look at, your, look at your neighbor and say, this is an IQ test. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes those guys are the most vocal. Man, they, they have all the opinions in the world. Never been able to be faithful a day in their lives. Sharp, good looking, mover and a shaker. Man, they can influence folks. But you know what? He, when it comes where, to where he's going to put his shoes, it's a different place on a regular basis. And you know what? If you know his life is not one of being faithful, don't ask him questions about how to make your marriage better. Because if you do, you're going to end up getting what's in him on you. Don't shout me down now. 
Are they more mature than you are? Wow. Amazing story from the word here. Listen to me, teenagers. I know you think your parents are completely disconnected from reality. Listen to me, 20-something young person. You think that all of us older 40, 50, 60-year-olds just don't have a clue as to what's going on. Do you know that really everything you're facing, we've already faced. You just have it with a new coat of paint and a fresh marketing program. There ain't nothing you're deciding on that we haven't already faced. Been there, run the race, got the t-shirt, been there and done it. There's no new tricks. Okay, it's just basically a new marketing ploy. And every generation has just got a a, a hot woman with a little bit more of an hourglass figure slinked across the cover of that magazine or laid across that Lamborghini or standing up in front of that new house with the four-car garage that you just think you can't do without. Am I helping somebody just a little bit in the house this morning? You know what? It just becomes a little bit more pushed to the edge every generation. But it's the same stuff we've all already faced. The best thing you can do is learn to listen to the voice of some folks who've been there before you have and have actually made the right decisions, have a marriage that's lasted longer than 60 days. Am I in the right place this morning? You you, you want to talk to some folks who've got a testimony. They've lived through the test and their test has become a testimony. Their marriage was a mess and they trusted God and God made it a message. And the message is for you to hear what's going on in their lives and how they got there and how they have said, look, I once was lost, but now I'm found. And this is the testimony that God has given to me and what he's done in my life. Come on, help me somebody a little bit in this place this morning. The worst thing you can do is just get advice from the people that are at the same place in their lives where you are because they haven't been any further down the road than you have. That's the reason I have men like Jerome Alford in my life who's 67, 8 years old, something like that. He's a great friend. We go drink coffee. Tell me, man, what do you think about this? Other brothers in this church. It's not all about chronological age that are older than me. Alex is 10 years younger than I am, but Alex has tremendous wisdom from God. And I ask him and I want to hear what he has to say. And I listen to some 30-year-olds and I listen to some 20-year-olds and I actually talk to some teenagers and I'm going, hey, what are you sensing in this? There's some mature teenagers in this church. I'm telling you that love God and are walking with God and have some maturity in their lives. Can somebody say amen? amen? Now, when I ask... And I don't, just, I don't just keep it in this room. I call other pastors that have been at it longer than I have. I'm 51. I, my pastor, Ray McCollum, is 68 years old, pastoring, just planted a new church two years ago again in Nashville, Tennessee, and the blessing and the favor of God's on him. And, and you know, he's been there for me for 25-plus years now. He's spoken into mine and Dawn's life now for over 25 years. And I call Ray, and I say, hey, man, what do you think about this? Well, Michael... And he'll start to talk to me and we'll line up some guiding lights. What, what do you think the word says about this? What do you feel in your gut? What's the inner conviction that you're sensing? Has there been a prophetic word? And then he'll give me some godly counsel. It's counsel that I can trust. He's got a marriage that's lasted. He's got two great kids that are serving God. His credentials are right there in front of me. He's lived the life. Are you seeing what I'm saying? So you ask the question before you listen to somebody. Do they love the Lord? Do they know the word? Do they walk with God? Are they more mature than you are? Nothing wrong with getting some counsel from a friend, but don't let that be the only counsel you get. Get it from somebody who is like a father to the Lord to you, a father in the Lord to you, a mentor to you, someone who has been your discipler. So when I do get the counsel then, 
What is my proper response? Are you getting anything out of this this morning? What is my proper response? All right, let me just say this. When you ask someone what he thinks, don't get angry when he tells you and it's not what you hoped he was going to say. Sometimes people come into my office and they lay out their plan and, Pastor, what do you think? And really, as soon as I start to say, you know what, I really have a check in my spirit about this, they get offended. And I'm going, well, did you really, did you come for counsel or did you just come for a rubber stamp approval? Vast majority of the time, folks have already thought it through. They've already taken these teachings that we've given from the word and they've lined up some lights and they're really in good shape. But once in a while, there'll be something that's just off. It's just like got a wang to it. It's like tea that's gone bad. It looks good in the refrigerator. It's cold, but <laughs> there ain't nothing sweet about that tea. <laughs> and you just like, or like, I don't even know what this word, where it came from. I grew up and my grandparents would say, that milk's blinky. And I guess it's because when you drank it, it would make you blink. <laughs> Any of you ever heard that word, blinky, blinky milk? <laughs> Listen to this, Proverbs 9, 9. Give instruction to a wise man, he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man, he will increase in learning. You go to get godly counsel and it's not what you expected to hear, learn to respond properly and just go, okay, I'm going to take it back to the drawing board. We'll pray over it a little bit. When you, when you come in and sit down and you sit with an elder or a life group leader or a pastor or something like that, I would encourage you, say it this way. I really feel like the Lord is leading me. Because if somebody comes in and first thing right out of the chute says, Pastor, the Lord said, I just go, well, we don't need to meet. If God told you, you better do what God said. Now, what I'm saying is there's nothing wrong with confidently knowing that the Lord said, but sometimes until you really have gotten the experience of hearing the voice of the Lord repeatedly, uh, it's good to be able to say, hey, check me out on this. I I really think this is the Lord, but I want to know what you think. Can you confirm this? And you know what? When people come with that kind of a heart and attitude, it's a whole lot easier to deal with. If somebody comes and says, the Lord said, I just basically go, you know, we don't need to meet. If you know that you know that you know that God told you, that's your answer. You don't even need my counsel. So it's, we want to balance this a little bit because some folks use the phrase, the Lord said, just in such a very, very common kind of way. And so I believe in prophetic confirmation. I believe the spirit of the Lord speaks. The Holy Spirit will speak to us about things to come. But it's good until we really get a confident understanding of the voice of the Lord in our own lives. That's what God wants for every one of you in this room. Until you're really sort of matured in that, you know, it's good to be able to see what somebody else says. And you know what? Somebody else will always go, well, let's see what the Word says. What do you sense in your heart? What What has godly counsel said to you? And we start lining up these different lights so that we can land the plane on the runway safely. Listen to this, Jeremiah 7, 27 Godly counsel will expose deceptions. The Bible says in Jeremiah 7, but they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels and the stubbornness of their evil hearts, and they went backward and not forward. I know a situation. Someone was wanting to get married. And everybody in the relationship around this person was basically red lighting it going, dude, you know what? You're a great guy. She's an amazing girl, but you guys, this is oil and water. This is never going to work. Every one of the young man's friends was trying to tell him, parents of the young man, friends of the girl, and they basically had spent so much time together over about four years. 
let me just, this is a cautionary tale to, to all of us, especially those of you that are about to make the second most important decision in your life. The first one being making Jesus Lord of your life. The second one is who you choose to marry. You can spend so much time with someone that in the beginning you knew that you would never marry that you end up falling in love with her and then you're torn because you go, but I love her. And when you're in that situation, you can't be objective. You can't be neutral. And it, it frustrates you and infuriates you when every godly counsel voice around you and every dummy light on your spiritual dashboard is screaming, low oil, battery's dead, over and over and over and over. All the red lights in your life are flashing and everybody around you, all the good people that you trust are all going, dude, you are headed over the cliff. Sometimes people still make the decision to do what Jeremiah 7 says. They did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels and the stubbornness of their evil hearts, and they went backward and not forward. Now, you know what? As a pastor, it grieves my heart to see that happen, but I will be there to help him pick up the pieces because I love this person. Okay? It happens too often when we get so bent into moving in a certain direction, that we refuse the objectivity. And godly counsel is the most objective thing in your life. You need to hear people who love you enough that will be your friend, and a friend is somebody who will tell you the truth when that's maybe what you might not exactly want to hear. I'm thankful I have some friends in my life. I'm finishing this message this morning. Proverbs 27, verse 9. A friend will tell you the truth. Be a friend. Listen to this. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. So a friend, a true friend, will not just rubber stamp and give you the immediate approval. I mean, there may be approval, but it may be with a little bit of a warning. You know what? I think this is a good thing. This is a God thing even, but I think you need to be careful for this, and you're going to have to navigate around that. And that's where we get great advantage in the multitude of true counselors, there is safety. In the abundance of true counselors, there is victory. We can wage the war and win it. We can guide a nation and we can be blessed. We can build a home. We can build a family. We can build a business that honors God. If we're determined to line up the lights, what does the word say? What do I feel in my heart? What have the prophets said? What have the, the men of God, women of God, the counselors some of the greatest counsel that I've ever had came from my mother, sitting across the table from her at our little table at 300 South Center. And it's been a bittersweet situation this week because we've got a, a buyer for the house and having to clear things out and just going through and just knowing that that's the place. And Dewey and I had a good old crying jag this week together. And... Um, I think he's in Savannah with Stacy with her mom honoring her today and just making the decisions that you have to make as the next generation unfolds. And um, I've had some moments. It's only been a couple of months since I buried mom. I just want to say how thankful I am for the prayers that she prayed and never giving up. There was a time in my own life as a junior and a senior in high school when I was just trying to do everything. I was sick of church I, I never have been in the place where I hated God, but I was ticked off because I'd seen everything you could imagine to see in terms of corruption. That's why I, I really labor to try to just, on a regular basis, just be who I am 
and just say, look, I have struggles just like you do and not play games. We want to be real. We want to have a grace atmosphere here at Victory. It doesn't mean that that's a cover for any kind of gross sin, but that means that, look, we're just, we want to create an atmosphere where people can come in and know that ain't nobody in the house finished. Nobody's perfect except for Jesus. There are people sitting in churches all over the town, all over the city in West Memphis and Marion that are hiding things that they terrified, thinking if anybody in this room knew what I was doing, it would ruin me. And let me just tell you, if the church, which is supposed to be a dispersing place of grace, cannot grow an atmosphere where people are able to actually, out of the, out of the whole crowd, find one friend that they can pull their junk out of the closet and shine the light on it and let God bring deliverance, then we are in a world of trouble. I'm thankful for friends. I'm thankful for one sitting on this front row and one in the back back there and one in Cherry Valley with his mom this morning and others around this room who love me enough to look at me and tell me the truth when I might not want to hear it. And I'm thankful for that. It saved my life. My mom didn't give up on me when I was a junior in high school and I was trying to get drunk and smoking dope like all the other kids that were doing. Just, try, just acting a fool. And she would just pray. She'd lay in the bed at night and pray and just say, God, restore him. Because she knew that I'd walk with the Lord. And I was just out on a, on a tangent, chasing it, just trying to do the whole thing. Sick of church, been hurt. So you know what? If you're sitting here this morning and you're coming back trying to check it out, let me just tell you, I've been there, done that. I've been offended. I've had all the excuses. And it's, it's much greater to be able to sit down and work through it and take the risks to build some relationships with real people. And victory is real. Just want to tell you, there are real people here who love and serve the real God, and we're not living in a fairyland story. It's the real world, and we're going to deal with the problems, and we're going to be real about them, and I'm telling you that God loves you just the way you are this morning, right where you are, but he loves you so much that he's not going to leave you there in that kind of a situation, and I'm thankful this morning. I'm thankful for the strength to be able to get through this service just two months ago, burying my mom, and I'm thankful to give a testimony. You know what? She's praying for me right now. She's looking over the balcony of heaven, and some of you have moms and grandmoms. They've already gone to be with the Lord. Those of you that have them alive, honor them, revere them, make them know how totally, incredibly special that they are, and thank them for their prayers. Some of you would not be in the shape you're in if your grandmama hadn't been praying for you and hadn't given up on your old sorry, and I'll stop right there. I'm thankful. Put your hands together and let's thank God for our moms and our grandmoms this morning. I'm finished. I'm finished. A man of many companions may come to ruin. The rest of that verse says it this way. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That friend that I'm talking about this morning, I wish that I could say was me. I wish that I could even say it was my little sweet mama. But you know what? Even as sweet as my mama is, she's human. And I'm human. I'm a pastor, not going to stay on a pedestal. I'm human. I'm very real. I have struggles. I wrestle down thoughts like every other man in this room. And I take my heart before the Lord and I go, God, change me. But I just want to tell you something today. I'm thankful to God that there is one friend who will stick closer when nobody else will. And his name is Jesus Christ. Put your hands together. That's it. Amen. Bow your hearts with me, please, for just a moment this morning as we bring this message to a close. Gracious God, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who is the only one that qualifies for what that verse means, a friend that sticks closer than a brother.
Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. I just want to ask you this morning, everybody in this room today, we've honored moms and we're thankful for all of the input into our lives, the great counsel that she's given, the godly counsel, the prayer that she's prayed. You know what I would just say to you, the godly counsel that I would bring to you right now is turn your heart to Jesus. Make that one most important decision. If you've never done that, I encourage you to make that today. I won't manipulate you or intimidate you. I can't make you make that, but I can tell you how. And how you do it is two things. Number one, you repent. You turn. There, there are some places where you can't just whip it around on the road and do a U-turn in the middle of the road. There are other places that are marked that you, it's, it's legal. You can do a U-turn right there. You're headed one direction and you realize you're going the wrong way and you make a decision. You turn. You do a U-turn. That's what repent means. You turn from the way you've been going and you turn around. And I just want to tell you, this is a turnaround spot right here. It's legal to turn your heart in this place. You can do a U-turn at Victory. You turn your heart to Jesus and you repent and put the past behind you. And you say, God, I've messed this stuff up. The second thing you do is you believe in Jesus Christ. You put your trust in him and you say, you know what? I made a mess of this. I believe that you're God's son. I believe God raised you from the dead. I ask you to forgive me. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon me. Forgive me of my sins, Jesus, and come into my heart. Take those two things that I just said right there. Make them your own. Somebody under the sound of my voice this morning, the Spirit of God is doing a work in you that no man can do. You sense it. You feel it. Your, your, your inner convicting monitor is just screaming. It's pegging out because your heart's beating fast. Somebody's sitting in the sound of my voice right now. You know God has put his thumb right down into the soul. He's put his thumbprint into your soul right now, and he's saying, you're mine. And what you do is you turn to him, and you say, Jesus, be my Savior, be my Lord. Save me. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you'd like to be included in this prayer, I'm not going to embarrass anyone, not going to be calling by the front, but just as a point of faith, a point of contact, if you would like to be included in this prayer, slip your hand up. Nobody's looking around. Every eye's closed. There's one brother right there, and there's another hand. I see another one on the back. Yes, another brother. Thank you, and one on this side. So we've at least got five or six this morning. Several are around the room. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit that's going on in this place today. We sense your presence. Thank you for godly counsel. Thank you for the word of the Lord that's gone forth, the gospel that's been in this place today, and for the, the brother, the one who sticks closer than a brother, Jesus, who is our friend. Thank you, Lord, for these who've raised their hands and the Spirit of God has just set down inside of them. Lord, they're sensing right now that you're doing a work inside of them. Lord, thank you that you, you bring them from death to life. You breathe new life into them. Lord, right now, as they say in their own heart, in their own words, forgive me, Jesus, come into my heart and save me. Thank you, Lord, for that work of the Holy Spirit. We commit these to you to do what no man can do. In Jesus' name. Now, to believers, every head still bowed, every eye still closed. Some of you have been stirred up this morning to remember the importance of getting some godly counsel. You've, you've got some decisions to make. And maybe you've been listening to some wrong voices. Some, some who've counseled you to go the wrong direction. And you just sense the Lord is saying, I need to get in the word and seek the Lord. I need to find a good guidance counselor. The Holy Spirit is the best one. But maybe talk to a pastor. Talk to a life group leader. Any of you this morning, just by raising your hand, saying, I've sensed the Lord speaking to me to get some guidance this morning, some godly counsel. Father, I just thank you for these hands. I pray that you open their eyes to see 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lead them and guide them in your presence, I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said,